Chapter Three of Marjorie Dean, High School Freshman, by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Three: The Girl Who Looked Like Mary. It's rather nice to have so much room, but I know I shall never feel quite at home here murmured marjorie dean under her breath as she came slowly down the steps of her new home and paused for a moment in the middle of the stone walk which led to the street her wistful glance strayed over the stretch of lawn still green then turned to rest on the house a comfortable three-story structure of wood painted dark green with lighter green trimmings her mother's sudden appearance at the window caused Marjorie to retrace her steps. Luncheon was ready. Everything is so different, she sighed as she climbed the steps she had so lately descended. I've been here a week and I haven't met a single girl. I don't believe there are any girls in this neighbourhood. I should feel a good deal worse too if the Franklin girls hadn't been such dears. Marjorie's last comment, spoken half aloud, referred to the numerous letters she had received since her arrival in the town of Samford from her Franklin High School friends, now so many miles away. Mary Raymond had not only fulfilled her promise to write one long letter every week, but had mailed Marjorie almost daily, hurriedly written little notes full of the news of what was going on among the boys and girls she had left behind. It had been a busy yet a very long week for Marjorie. The unpacking of the Dean's furniture, which had been shipped to Sanford a week before their arrival there, and the settings to rights of her new home had so occupied the attention of Mrs. Dean and Nora, her faithful maid of all work, that Marjorie, aside from certain tasks allotted to her to perform, was left for the most part to her own devices. As they had arrived in Sanford on Monday, Marjorie's mother had decided to give her daughter an opportunity to accustom herself to her new home and surroundings before allowing her to enter the high school. So the day for Marjorie's initial appearance in the Sanford High School for Girls had been set for the following Monday. It was now Friday afternoon. Marjorie had spent the morning in writing a fifteen-page letter to Mary, the minor refrain of which was, I can't tell you how much I miss you, Mary, and which contained views regarding her future high school career that were far from being optimistic. She had not finished her letter. She decided to leave it open until after luncheon, and, laying it aside for the time, she had tripped downstairs and outdoors. "'What are you going to do this afternoon, dear?' asked her mother as Marjorie slipped into place at the luncheon table. "'I don't know, mother,' was the almost doleful reply. "'I thought I might take a walk up Orchard Street as far as Sergeant's, that cunning little confectioner's shop on the corner. Perhaps if I go, I may see something interesting to tell Mary. I haven't finished my letter. 
Marjorie did not add that her walk would include a last stroll past the towering grey walls of a certain stone building on Lincoln Avenue, which bore over its massive oak doors the inscription, The Sanford High School for Girls. Almost every day since her arrival she had visited it, viewing it speculatively and with a curious kind of apprehension. She was not afraid to plunge into her new school life, but deep down in her heart she felt some little misgiving. What if the new girls proved to be neither likeable nor companionable? What if she liked them, but they did not like her? She had just begun the same apprehensive train of thought that had been disturbing her peace of mind for the last four days when her mother's voice broke the spell. If you were going to go that far, I wish you would go on to Park and Whitfield's for me. I should like you to match this embroidery silk. I have not enough of it to finish this collar and cuff I am making for you. I'll be your faithful servant and execute all your commissions, Mum, declared Marjorie with a little obeisance, her spirits rising a little at the prospect of actual errands to perform. She was already tired of aimlessly wandering along the wide, well-kept streets of Samford, feeling herself to be quite out of things. Other errands were actual blessings sometimes, she decided, as a little later she ran upstairs to dress. "'May I wear my best suit and hat, mother?' she called anxiously down from the head of the stairs. "'It's such a lovely day. I'm sure it won't rain, snow, hail, or do anything else to spoil them.' "'Very well,' answered Mrs. Dean placidly. With a gurgle of delight, Marjorie hurried into her room to put on her new brown suit, which had the mark of a well-known tailor in the coat, and her best hat, on which all the Franklin High girls had set their seal of approval. She had shoes and gloves to match her suit, too, and her dancing brown eyes and fluffy brown hair were the last touches needed to complete the dainty little study in brown. "'Don't I look nice in this suit?' she asked her mother saucily, turning slowly around before the living-room mirror. "'Aren't you and father perfect dears to let me have it, though?' She whirled and descended upon her mother with outstretched arms, enveloping her in an ecstatic hug that sadly disturbed the proper angle of her brown velvet hat. "'Don't be gone too long,' reminded her mother. You know father has promised us tickets for the theatre tonight. We shall have an early dinner. All right, I'll remember, Captain. With a brisk touching of her hand to her hat-brim in salute, Marjorie vanished through the door, to reappear a moment later at the living-room window, flash a merry smile at her mother, about face, and march down the walk in true military style. Long before, when Marjorie was a tiny girl, she had shown an unusual preference for soldiers. She had owned enough wooden soldiers to make a regiment, and was never at a loss to invent war games in which they figured. Sometimes, when she tired of her stiff, silent armies, which could only move as she willed, she inveigled her father or mother into being the hero the enemy, the traitor, or whatever her active imagination chose to suggest. 
Her parents, amused at her boyish love of military things, encouraged her in play and entered into it with as much spirit as the child herself. Her father, who had once been an officer in the National Guard, taught her the manual of arms, and she had learned it with a will. Marge's military enthusiasm had been at its height when she met Mary Raymond, who soon became equally fascinated with the stirring play. In time, other interests crowded their lives. The hard-worked armies were laid peacefully on their wooden backs to enjoy a long, undisturbed rest, while Marjorie and Mary became soldiers instead, addressing Mr. Dean as general, Mrs. Dean as captain, and bestowing upon themselves the rank of ordinary enlisted soldiers who must earn their promotion by loyal and faithful service. Mr. Dean had been rather chary of promotions, frequently reminding his little detachment that it is a far cry from the ranks of a private to that of a commissioned officer. So when their parting came, Mary and Marjorie had just received their commissions as second lieutenants, their rewards of faithful service in the grammar school. Lieutenant Marjorie smiled, then sighed as she started her walk. The salute she had just given brought a flood of memories of Mary. She felt she would not mind exploring this strange new high school territory if Mary were with her. She was sure no girl in Sanford could understand her as Mary had. On two different afternoons she had stood across the street from the school at the time of dismissal. She had eagerly watched the great oak doors open wide and the long lines of girls file out, waking the still October air with their merry voices. She had been particularly attracted toward one tall, lithe, graceful girl whose golden hair and brown eyes made her unusually lovely. At first sight of her, Lonely, imaginative Marjorie had named her the picture girl, and had decided that she was a darling. She had noticed that the pretty girl was always the centre of a group, and she had also noted that one small, black-haired girl with an elfish face, who wore the most exquisite clothes, invariably walked at the tall girl's side. There was a pink-cheeked girl, too, with laughing blue eyes and dimples, and a fair-haired, serious-faced girl, who reminded Marjorie of Alice Duval. They usually formed part of the group about the tall girl and her dark companion, and there was also a very short, stout girl, who puffed along anxiously in the rear of the group, as though never quite able to catch up. Marjorie had already imagined much concerning this particular knot of girls, and her desire to see them again before entering school was responsible for her walk down Lincoln Avenue that sunny fall afternoon. She would do her errands first, she decided, then, returning by the way of the school, pass there just at the time that the afternoon session was dismissed. She went about her far-from-arduous commissions in leisurely fashion, now and then glancing at her Chatelaine watch to make sure of the time. Three o'clock saw the daily procession of girls down the high school steps and released from classes for the day. She did not intend to miss them. 
It was twenty minutes to three when Marjorie finished a remarkable concoction of nuts, chocolate syrup and ice cream, a kind of glorified nut sundae rejoicing in the name of Sergeant Nectar, and left the smart little confectioner's shop. As she neared the school building, her eyes suddenly became riveted upon a slim, blue-clad figure that hesitated for an instant at the top of the high steps that ran lightly down and came hurrying toward where she stood. "'The advance guard,' declared Marjorie half aloud. Then, as her eyes sought the approaching girl, "'Why, she looks like Mary, and she's been crying.' I'm going to speak to her. She took an impulsive step forward as the stranger came abreast of her and began, Won't you? Marjorie's speech ended abruptly. The weeping girl cast one startled glance toward her from a pair of wet blue eyes, lunged by her without speaking, and, breaking into a run, turned the corner and disappeared from view. Marjorie surveyed the back of the rapidly vanishing yellow head with rueful surprise. Then she gave a short laugh. I should have known better, she reflected. Of course she had hardly cared to tell her personal affairs to the first one who asks her. But she made me think of Mary. Oh dear, I am so homesick. Not even my new suit and hat can make me forget that. I wouldn't have Mother know it for the world. I believe she is a wee bit homesick too. Marjorie paused for an instant at her accustomed place on the opposite side of the street. Undecided whether to loiter there and once more watch her future companions pass out of school or to go on about her business. Suddenly the school doors swung wide and the pupils began flocking out. The little stranger yielded to the temptation to linger longer enough to watch the five girls pass in whom she had become interested. They were among the last to emerge and the moment they reached the steps their voices rose in a confused babble, each one determined to make herself heard above the others. "'I knew she wouldn't do it,' shrilled the stout girl as they neared Marjorie. "'She's too stingy for words.' That's the third time she's refused to go into things with the rest of us. Be still, reminded the picture girl. She might have very good reasons. Good reasons, scornfully mimicked the little dark girl, her black eyes glittering angrily. It was only because the plan was mine. She hates me, and you all know why. I don't think you ought to stand up for her, Muriel. You know how deceitful she is and what unkind things she said about me. I'm not standing up for her, contradicted Muriel, but her tones lacked force. I only felt a little bit sorry for her. She looked ready to cry all the afternoon. I think she went home early to avoid meeting us. That proves she is a coward, was the triumphant retort. Remember... With a sudden swift movement she rose on tiptoe and, drawing the picture girl's head to the level of her mouth, whispered something to her. The fair-haired girl looked annoyed, the fat girl openly sulky and the dimpled girl disapproving. 
Exchanging significant glances, they walked on ahead of the other two. Without the slightest intention of being an eavesdropper, Marjorie had heard every word of the loud-spoken conversation. Her eyes were fixed in fascination upon the dark, sharp-featured face so close to the fair, beautiful one. She suddenly recalled a picture she had once seen called The Evil Genius, in which a dark, mocking face peered over the shoulder of a young man who sat at a table as though in deep thought. This girl's vivid face bore a slight resemblance to that of the evil genius, and it was not until the end of Marjorie's junior year in Samford that this sinister impression faded and disappeared forever. When the little company had passed on down the street, Marjorie turned and followed them from a distance. For several blocks her way lay in the same direction, but as she turned into her own street she swept a last glance toward the five girls. She wondered whom they had been discussing so freely. She was vaguely disappointed in the picture girl who seemed to her independent mind too easily influenced by the evil genius. Marjorie had already begun to think of the small dark girl as that. She was glad not to be the girl they had discussed. Then her thought changing, a vision of two wet blue eyes and a tear-stained face set in fluffy yellow curls came to her, and Marjorie knew that she had seen the object of their discussion. A wave of sympathy for the offender swept over her. I don't believe she could do anything deceitful or horrid, she reflected stoutly. Her eyes are as true and as blue as Mary's. I'm going to like her and be her friend if she'll let me, for she certainly seems to need one. I did so want to be friends with the picture girl, but I can't help wishing she had been just a little bit braver. While Marjorie strolled thoughtfully home, deep in her own cogitations, the five girls, having joined forces again, were discussing her. "'Did you see that pretty girl standing across from the school as we came out?' asked Susan Atwell, the girl with the dimples. "'Yes,' returned Irma Linton. "'I noticed her there the other day, too. I wonder who she can be. I don't know.' said Muriel Harding. She is awfully sweet, though, and dresses beautifully. She... I know all about her, interrupted Geraldine Macy. Her father is the new manager for Preston and Haynes. They only moved here from the city last week. Her name is Dean. That is, her last name. I don't know her other name. I am surprised that you don't know that was the sarcastic comment of Mignon Lasalle, the little dark girl. "'You needn't be,' flung back the stout girl. "'There are lots of things I don't know that I'd like to know. For instance—' "'Don't be cross, Jerry,' interrupted Mignon hastily. "'I was only teasing you.' She cast a peculiar glance at the ruffled Jerry from under her heavy lashes— which the young woman failed to catch. "'Tell us some more about this new girl. I really didn't pay hardly any attention to her today.' "'There isn't anything more to tell that I know of,' muttered Jerry sulkily, her desire to distribute news quite gone. "'Wait until Monday and see.' 
I know she's going to enter Sanford High, and that she's a freshman. Then as freshmen, it's our solemn duty to be nice to her and make her feel at home, stated Muriel seriously. Mignon Lasalle shrugged her thin shoulders. Perhaps, she said without enthusiasm. Meanwhile, Marjorie had reached home and, seated before the library table, was writing for dear life on the letter she had begun to marry. So far she had had nothing to tell her chum regarding the young women who were to be her classmates. To be sure, what she had seen and heard that afternoon had amounted to nothing, but the girl who looked like Mary had set her to longing all over again to be able, just for one afternoon, to sit side by side on the front steps with her childhood's friend and talk things over. "'You can't imagine, Mary,' she wrote, "'how sorry I felt when I saw that poor girl crying with your eyes. "'They were just like yours. "'I forgot everything except that she looked like you "'and asked her what the trouble was. "'Of course she didn't answer me, but actually ran down the street.' I should have known better, but I felt so terribly sympathetic. Terribly is the only word that expresses it. Right after she had gone, the others began to come out of school, and at last the five girls I told you about came out. They were all talking at once, but I heard the horrid, sharp-faced, dark girl say that someone was stingy and deceitful and a lot of other unpleasant things. I thought the picture girl was going to stand up for the person, but that mean little evil genius wouldn't let her. Then all at once it came to me that it was this Mary girl they were talking about. It was really this one dark girl who said most of the mean things. The others just listened to her. At any rate, I'm going to find out who the Mary girl is and try to be a friend to her just because she looks like you. Don't imagine I could ever like her better than you, because you know I couldn't. But it's a true soldier's duty to stand by his comrades on the firing line, you know, and I'm going to be this girl's freshman comrade. And if she's one half as nice as you, I'll be ready to help her fight her battles. Monday is the great day. I dread it, and yet I am looking forward to it. I like the outside of the school. But will I like the inside? Mother is going to the principal's office with me. I hope I shan't have to try a lot of tiresome examinations. I have forgotten everything I ever knew, and the weather has been too pleasant to study. This is such a pretty town, with plenty of nice walks. If only you were here it would be quite perfect. I do hope you can come and visit me at Easter. Must stop now, as I hear mother calling me. We are going to walk down to meet father. With my dearest love, write soon. Yours always, Marjorie. Marjorie folded, addressed, and stamped her letter. Then, catching her hat from the hall rack, ran out the front door to overtake her mother, who had walked on ahead. I finished my letter to Mary, she held it up for inspection. And I've something to report, Captain. I am ready to hear you, smiled her mother as they walked on arm in arm. 
For the second time, Marjorie related her little adventure, ending with her resolve to learn to know and befriend, if necessary, the girl who looked like Mary. Nor did she have the slightest premonition of how much this readily avowed championing of a stranger was to cost her. End of chapter 3 Recording by Ashley Jane